Hello and welcome to Spiritually Queer with me, your host, Jane Lyon, where we talk about all things that intersect queer life and the spiritual path. We'll be exploring everything from sexuality to new age spiritualism, while of course keeping things rooted in tradition and celebrating queer liberation as human liberation. This is a warm and inclusive space for all to come and explore their queerness, their spirituality, and to live in devotion to creating a new earth. Shambhala is right here in front of us. Are you ready to dive in? Hello, hello, my sweet, sweet, spiritually queer listeners, my favorite people, the specialist people ever. Is this recording? Am I recording? Okay, it looks like we're recording. Yes. (laughs) Y'all, I had to pop in and record a quick intro for this. Enjoy the clarity and sound of my voice while it lasts. This podcast I was supposed to have out last Friday morning, bright and early for ya. Thought we'd be all ready to go, but y'all, I recorded this podcast in person, which I haven't done in a while, and the sound quality is awful. The mics were all plugged in, and I am not sure what did not connect quite right, but I had to get on and create an intro and just and just say, damn, fuck. The sound on this one, it's not good. It sucks. We spent all weekend trying to fix it trying to tune it up for you. So I would invite you to listen to this in a way that sounds best. I don't know what that is. I don't know what way is best to listen to this episode, but the thing is that this is a fucking quality episode, and that's what's so frustrating. I mean, all of my episodes are quality, right? But this conversation that I had with Jocelyn was so beautiful about, you know, freedom, expansion, integrity. We talked a lot about integrity and it was just such a beautiful conversation. So I wanted to record this little introduction just to inspire you, motivate you to really listen to it, really take it in, even though there's just kind of this like white noise in it that, it, that you know, we could not seem to scrub out of the audio. I, I just hope that you'll still take this in. I'm like, you know what, my listeners, they want the wisdom. And I and I know you guys will still take it in and receive it so, so, so fully. So I am literally packed with guests the next couple of months. So we will have more amazing quality episodes your way. And I know you guys are going to fall in love with Jocelyn and you're going to be like, Jane, we need more of her. And you will get more of her. I promise. Okay. So we will definitely have her back. So anyways, before I let you roll with the episode for today. I just wanted to let you guys know that Healer's School, this thing that I I feel like I was meant to create, I feel like I was born to create this Healer's School. Healer's School begins in a week and a half. Our first official class is February 7th, and we're starting with a class called Intuition. Ugh. I just finished the textbook for phase one and I am so excited you guys because essentially this is an experiment. This is my first time running a healer's school. This is my first time training people on their intuition and setting the field and guiding meditations and all of this stuff, you know, the, the, the Reiki and the Akashic records, this stuff that is my life, that is my work, that is like all that I do, teaching it to others. I just feel so honored and so excited and as of this 
this moment right now, we still have two spots left in the school to join us for six months of deep healing work. You're going to be doing the work on yourselves, on the other healers in the program, and then at the end of it, you're going to be certified to go and change the world and live abundantly doing that. I've got so many bonus classes <laughs> planned already, and my um, healer Healer's Biz Masterclass, I'm actually really excited for that one. Maybe even we'll open that one to the public, because I'm just realizing, you guys, like, wow, I've had a good month to start the year, and I've I figured it out. I have really, I feel like I have figured something out in the world. And I think the world desperately needs healers right now. It desperately needs people who have these big hearts like yours, those of you who are listening, you know, who have that desire to serve others and want to cultivate and awaken the gifts inside of them. I mean, gifts isn't even the right word because it's the skills that are inside of you. We all have it. We all have these abilities and it's cultivating those skills, not even your gifts just your natural abilities to be stronger and more sharp and more manicured, you know? I think that I've experienced the difference between a messy healer and an extremely professional healer, and I'm excited to just be exploring this part of my work with with those of you who were believed in me enough and um, were ready to say, yep, Jane, let's let's fucking do this. I want to go on this journey with you. So whew, it's going to be epic. I cannot wait. We are getting into that next week. Okay, so enjoy this beautiful episode with Jocelyn and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, welcome to Spiritually Queer. Today I have a very exciting guest, especially because she came all the way from the town up north, got on a bus, came all the way down here, went and picked her up from my from picked her up on my scooter, brought her here, made her a latte. Jocelyn is my guest today and I am just so honored that you were willing to have a little adventure to come be with me in person because I do all of these on Zoom mostly, and it's been so fun to be in the room and have a few people that I can interview in person, so thank you for being here. Of course, I'm glad you. Thank you for having me. I'm so ex- <laughs> I, I am so curious about you that I am so excited. As you know, I like to start spiritually queer with just kind of projecting who the guest is to me. So... A couple weeks ago, my friend invited me to our regular beach on a regular Saturday morning, and she's like, I'm already here with a friend, and I'm like, a friend? Like, I know everyone here. And I walk up, and it's just like these, I just love how everywhere I go, I'm just greeted by beautiful women, just these beautiful women greeting me, and I'm like, hi, Jocelyn, oh my god, I've heard so much about you. I'm like, finally getting to put a face, and a figure, and a personality to this name I've heard so much, and you're just like it's funny because you are someone I've heard of. It's not that I followed you online. I've heard of you just third parties, you know, Julietta just sharing my friend Jocelyn this, this, and that, and an amazing coach because you got one of our friends to start coaching, which like I'm like, who did that? Because someone needed to get her to start doing that. <laughs> and you are a sex. You're also queer, which it was so fun because there was like four of us gay girls at the beach. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, this is you. So obviously I'm going to have questions about that, but like, as I was getting ready for this episode with you, I'm like, who am I talking about? And then I'm like, I don't think that Jocelyn is someone you get to pigeonhole like that. I don't think I get to be like, Jocelyn, this is the topic we're talking about today. I think that you strike me as someone who is so freaking multidimensional that I am just excited to see where our conversation goes today. So I would love for you to share with my audience, like, who are you? And, and like, who are you like today? 
All right. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so my name is Jocelyn Silva. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am a sexual empowerment coach and sex educator. Who am I today? Today I am, today I am someone who is figuring out her shit when it comes to romance and sex. I have gone through several evolutions of my sexual empowerment journey and currently in one that I've been in for the last two years. And the last few days, especially with this new moon, a lot has been coming up for me. So I'm currently in a place in my life where I am being confronted with a lot of my old patterns and really learning a lot from them. So that is where I'm at right now on a mental and emotional level. On a, I don't know, I guess you could say like zooming out level. I'm a world traveler, I'm a coach, I'm an educator, I'm a friend, I'm a daughter. <laughs> I'm queer, I'm bisexual, I'm a unicorn, I'm a drummer, I'm a dancer. Love it. Yes, yes. Okay, so my first question is like, can you define sexual empowerment and what that even means to you? Because if you follow Jocelyn online, you would think she is empowered. And so for you to be coaching people on that, which obviously I get, I'm, a, I'm an energy coach and I'm also healing my energy. But if you're leading people in that and then experiencing it as well, what does it mean that you're in like your third cycle or you said something like that, of like this like past two year cycle of Yeah, oh my God, I absolutely love that question. Okay, so I'm gonna answer what is sexual empowerment? to me first, and then I'll, I'll answer the second part. So um, I've actually been doing a lot of reflection on this. I've been an educator for 10 years now, 10, 12 years. I'm 32, I started when I was 20, so like 12 years. And I've been coaching for three. And I was even thinking, like, how do I define sexual empowerment? And if I could uh, define it very simply, I would say the only thing you need to be a sexually empowered person is two things. One is knowledge, and two is courage. Mm -hmm. Knowledge of anatomy, knowledge of like how the body functions on a sexual level, knowledge of self, understanding of self, like what you like, what you don't like, what your traumas are, what your boundaries are, um, the things that make you feel the most pleasurable, right? Um, all of those things. So knowledge. And then the second one is courage. Courage to communicate, courage to take action on your desires, courage to speak out loud, courage to indulge in all the pleasure this life has to fucking offer you. That takes a fuck ton of courage. Yes. So um, if I could just simplify it, it would just say knowledge and courage and to really indulge in those two um, when it comes to sex and intimacy. And I love that second question that you asked me because I've actually been reflecting on that myself. Like, who am I to help people? Like, what qualifications do I have in my personal life? So I grew up in a really, really Catholic household. Like, I wanted to be a nun when I was 16. Can you imagine <laughs> Sister Jocelyn? But, like, I, you know, everything. I was a lector. I was an altar server. I wanted to be, I was in Christian leadership. I was the only senior in high school that got to lead the senior retreat. I got the religion award in high school. I got a scholarship in eighth grade for being most involved in my parish. Like I was Miss Catholic. Yeah, it was gnarly. And then when I was 18 years old, I started questioning my religion because I started going to college. I had a professor who was really feminist and my best friend in high school would identify as a feminist. And she used, to, she used to listen to, like, Sweeter Kimmy and Bikini Kill. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Like, this, I don't think, I think this goes against God. 
But then when I was in college, I was like, oh, my professor's saying that word, feminist, that like my best friend in high school used to say. I'm like, that's interesting. So that kind of piqued my interest. And I slowly started leaving the church. I got a boyfriend. I had sex with him. The skies parted, the angels sang, and I was like, <laughs> how is this bad? This is dumb. So I would say that was my first sexual evolution, was really being like questioning religion, understanding that like, or like learning like, wow, everything I've been taught about sex up until now is wrong, right? Like there's nothing to be ashamed of. Sex is not bad. Sex is actually beautiful. It's a beautiful gift that the universe has given us. The second sexual evolution that I've gone through after that has definitely been um, getting divorced from my spouse. I kind of like, you know, super conservative, the pendulum swing completely the opposite way. I was cheating on everyone I was with, um, engaging in really reckless sexual behavior, getting really sloppy. Everything came to a head, um, and I would, I divorced my spouse, and it was really, really, really painful and awful. I actually got into Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because I had some really terrible patterns and that I really needed help with. So for three years, I was in recovery from sex and love addiction, um, which was one of the biggest blessings that I've ever gifted myself is the opportunity to really heal a lot of these parts of myself. So then it was like, I was like super religious and then super like reckless. And then this program really allowed me to come to the middle where, you know, because I was also atheist during that time. So it allowed me to come to the space of like, I can be spiritual, I can have a moral compass, and also be really comfortable and happy about my sexuality. Because in my mind, being spiritual meant anti-sex. And being atheist meant, meant, meant like being uber-sexual, but without any type of moral compass, without any type of guidance on how to live my life. So the program has gifted that to me. I really, I will always be eternally grateful for that program because of that. And now the third sexual evolution that I am in is that I have not ever really allowed myself to be single. I have been in and out of relationships my entire adult life. I'm 32 years old now, and I have been single in April will be two years. This is the longest I've ever been single. And the, yeah. And the question I have asked myself for the last two years is, how can I be a single woman who is also uber sexual, and I think the, actually the over the, the overarching question is, what does it look like for Jocelyn to be single? And it's almost two years, and I still haven't really answered that question for myself. But I've learned a lot about myself through through this process, um, and yeah, it's been it's been a hell of a ride. So yeah, <laughs> gosh, thank you for sharing that whole journey with us because you know here's the first question that comes up this is something i'm constantly uncovering because i come from a very religious background as well i was raised catholic but my mom was beautiful my mom was the one who wanted to be a nun and then realized like how sexually stunted her life was and didn't want to raise girls who were like that but raised us in a very lds community so there's literally nothing she could do to save us and I think that as queer women, like there's a level of sexual oppression that we have to overcome. But I find myself being like, no, I think all women are included in that. No, I think like all people are included in that. Like, it's not just us queer folks who have had our sexuality oppressed. And I guess like this might be like way too existential of a question right now, but like, why is the most natural 
thing, the most like energetically clear thing, the most pleasurable thing. Why are we all so traumatized by it? Mm. Like, why are we all having to unpack all of this mm-hmm. stuff? And like, maybe it's you're not ready to answer that. Oh, I'm so ready to answer that. I am so ready to talk about this. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what you have to say about all of this. Fuck yeah, I have so much to say about this. (laughs) Okay, so I want to preface my answer by saying that I have a background in social work. So I got my bachelor's degree in gender and women's studies with an emphasis on race and ethnicity. And I have my master's degree in social work. So I have a very, like, micro, meso, macro perspective on society. And, like, everything I do in my practice, I always bring it back to, like, environment and social conditioning, right? Here's the thing. Whether you want to believe this or not, in order for systems of society to be functional, you need to, you need to produce disempowered humans. Mm -hmm. In order for people to accept the worst that society has to offer you, you need to not know your value and your worth. Mm -hmm. So if you think about how society works, right, there's a government, there's like the powers that be, there's large companies that rule essentially, you know, a lot of how society works, right? And they know that they have to strip you away of the things that make you the happiest, right? So when you think about things that make you a fully empowered individual, sex, money, right? Having a healthy relationship with money, understanding yourself, loving yourself, knowing yourself. This is why I always say that like sexual empowerment and self-love go hand in hand. Because if you love yourself, if you know how much you're worth, if you know your value, you're not gonna take shit from anybody, right? Like you're not going to lessen your value. The powers that be know this. So by design, we live in a sex-negative society because a sexually empowered person is the most dangerous person that you can encounter. When you make someone feel like shit about themselves, when you make someone feel ashamed of their body, ashamed of their expression, ashamed of who they are, like naturally, you can control and manipulate them all you want, Mm -hmm. right? It's when you start to embrace those things about yourself, you start to question things, you start to make decisions, you start to um, stand in your integrity, and that is, like I said, it's it's dangerous, right? Dangerous. It's dangerous to the powers that be because yes. you become you become From a liberated you become a liberated individual. Yeah. yeah. And the man does not want people to be liberated, right? We need to be disempowered in order for the system to maintain itself. And the beauty of, of knowing this is that it takes away the responsibility from, uh, like, so many of my clients come to me with so much shame. Oh, my God, I don't know anything about my fault. I don't know anything about sex. How can it be that I'm 30, 40, 50 years old and I don't know this? And I was told because you've been socially conditioned not to know this. Also, at large, as a society, as a world, we use shame to control and manipulate people. Like, if you think of the word sin, right? Like, killing someone is a sin, but also not going to church on Sunday is a sin. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I call that manipulation. Because if I say, you created, you committed a sin, you didn't go to church on Sunday, that's, equal, that's as equally as bad as killing someone. That's straight-up manipulation because I'm trying to control you, right? Now, as Brene Brown says, the antidote to shame is vulnerability, Right? And so the more vulnerable you allow yourself to be, the more deep you allow yourself to go with your feelings, the more you allow yourself to express yourself, right? The more you get to deteriorate that shame. Mm -hmm. And what is the most vulnerable act that humans can engage in? Sex. 
So if you strip away the vulnerability from sex, then you're left with people that are lost, not knowing what the fuck they're doing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do with my clients is literally teaching them how to be vulnerable mm -hmm. because we've been taught through our families, through our religious leaders, through, again, the media, right? That being vulnerable is a bad thing. That showing your emotions, expressing yourself is bad. So if you can't meet yourself at the most vulnerable, you know, the most vulnerable parts of you, then of course you're going to walk around feeling insecure, ashamed, disempowered about yourself in the most vulnerable act that humans can engage in. Yeah. Woo! And that is just, it's like we can see this. I mean, I see this in my hometown is just like these generations and generations of people who are just like putting their heads down. I talk about it in my teachings, like the third eye is cemented shut. We're not questioning anything. We're just like the cog in the machine. We're just doing things as they are. And I have a background in environmental science, and so I'm sure we can relate that like the systems at play are so much more complex than we could ever understand. And my first women's and gender studies professor my freshman year of college blew my fucking mind. This woman, I feel like I shout her out about that. I'm like, <laughs> Professor Julie Bacon, if you're listening to me, you know, like, when was Julie Kiotis? <laughs> yeah, the one who was a feminist. <laughs> yes. yes, like, and it's funny because for me, it's a similar experience going to college, and I was in Southern Oregon at a super liberal college, and learning what the word feminism was because everyone took women's and gender studies 101, it was like the most basic general that everyone could take. Learning that like most people in Southern Oregon were like pretty bicurious, fluid, gender expression was all over the place, polyamory was all over the place. Little, you know, Catholic girl from Utah is like so overwhelmed by all of the information. Then I take a folklore of the Bible class because the folklore program is super common at, at UO. And I like read the Bible from like like analytical, educated perspective that is when my entire like <laughs> world turned it's like around. spiritual societal everything like college was such a culture shock for me in the best way it really made me rearrange things and get a little bit more clear it was like such an awakening for me to be like wow everything i've been taught is a lie like what a disappointment we have been oppressed for so long and now i'm going to spend i think a lot of us are spending our 20s unraveling all of that and that's why these people like you who are who past their 30s are like i got it it's like i spent yeah. my 20s figuring it out <laughs> and now i'm in my 30s and i think i'm you know it's like but that's what i'm telling everyone like i have so many clients who are in their early 20s that like compare their journey to where i am right now i'm so far ahead of you you got your whole 20s mm -hmm. to be figuring out who you are and to be unraveling a lot of this stuff because i think most of us, we hit that spiritual awakening, like 19, 20, 21, where we're like, whoa, the world I was raised in is like, it like fucked me up and I need to like start unraveling this shit. And I think that's where people kind of start their healing journey. So I'm curious, like, what kind of clients do you like to work with? Who comes to you that you're like, oh, this might be? Before I answer that question, I just want to say that you know, with that being said, when I left the church at 18, I wouldn't say that I really got a grip. I like, I didn't get a, like a real grip on my sexuality to the point where I felt like, okay, I'm having sex and it feels good and I feel awesome and I have a big smile on my face afterwards until I was like 23. Mm -hmm. 
like I always tell people like it took me years right like minimum five years to really like you know I, I sound like a broken record I was always like but the church said this but the church said that like I, why everything is alive for five fucking years you know so please if you're li- like, if you're listening to this and you are in that position where you're trying really hard to like understand like you're trying really hard to kind of um separate yourself from everything church has taught you like know that it fucking takes time mm-hmm. and be really gentle with yourself it's not mm-hmm. gonna happen overnight so yeah the clients that i like to work with first and foremost i love clients that are like at a point in their life where they're sick of their shit mm-hmm. because here's the thing as a coach as you know i always say desperation is the best motivator right mm-hmm. you gotta get to a point where you're so sick and tired of your shit that you will do anything to change mm-hmm. because that is the only that is the only point in your life where you're actually able to create something new so when my clients come to me and they say i'm tired i'm ready to change like i'll do anything those are my favorite clients because that's how i know they're serious mm-hmm. right like all right let's go right i had to get to a point in my life when i hired my first life coach where i was like fuck this life that i'm living like i'm cheating on everyone i'm i don't know i didn't have any moral compass that i have i didn't know how to stand in my own integrity like i hated my job i was like what is this jocelyn i was like incredibly overweight i was like this isn't cute you know like we're gonna make a change desperation the best motivator i was fucking desperate so people that are ready to go um i love working with individuals that are excited about the journey but that also embrace the hard times and accept that it's part of it. Because a lot of, you know, when, when I tell people, oh, sexual empowerment coach, oh, you know, people go, wow, that sounds like fun. And I'm like, there are moments where it's fun. But what people don't realize is, again, going back to like the shame, right? People don't come to me because their life is rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to go and seek out the support of a sex coach. Right? Like, a lot of my clients are coming to me with some real concerns, right? Traumas, um, just a lot of shame. They're in, they're, in, they're in a place in their life where they're just not happy, right? And so um, I really like to work with people that are just, like, excited for the journey but also embrace the hard times because that's part of it. That's part of it. Your healing is not, is not always... You know, fun. I always like to use the analogy of like when you dislocate a shoulder, right? You dislocate your shoulder. Oftentimes, popping it back in hurts more than the dislocation, but you have to pop in, pop it back into place in order for it to heal. So sometimes the healing hurts more, but you have to go through it so that you can actually move on, right? So like popping that shoulder back into place. And if I could think of a third characteristic, I would say individuals that allow for us to co-create an experience together. So what do I mean by that? Like my favorite clients are the ones that hold a mirror to my face as well. So I really like clients that like ask me questions, that challenge what I have to say, that um, that look at themselves, right? And that look at me kind of like with one eyebrow, like cocked up a little bit. Because one, that keeps me on my toes. And two, I don't want to just like give people information. I want to be able to co-create an experience with the people that I work with. Like I'm here to support you, right? And you are here also to contribute to like this dynamic together. Because my favorite coaches have been the ones that have allowed me to do that with them. So I really enjoy doing that with my clients. Yeah. And I think 
there's there's an interesting dynamic I see with like client to coach where sometimes I feel like my client is like just listening to me yeah and nodding and I want to be like you're up here with me babe yeah. like we're both right here like we are both creating and when my clients they get onto the call that are like right there with me and that are like not seeing any like dynamic there of like Jane knows I don't it's like we both know yeah and we're creating the safe container where that that space can be opened up. Um, can I say one more thing? Of course. I um. So when I started coaching, I I hired Michelle Tasco. She's the tits. She's a finance and life coach. Okay. Actually, she's the one who said this quote that I got tattooed on my body because <laughs> she literally fucking changed my life. Aww. The quote is "Feel the fear and do it anyway." Because mm-hmm. when she helped me start my my practice, um, she said, "How do you feel?" And I said, "I'm scared." And she goes, "Well, Jocelyn, this is just one of the things you're gonna have to feel the fear." Words changed my life. I love that. So I got a tattoo on me. So Michelle Tasco. Two things that she told me that always resonated in my mind is, one, a really great coach is one that asks really great questions. Mm-hmm. So if, if you listen to a coaching session, it's literally just me asking questions. Mm-hmm. It's like 80% of me of, of it is, and what do you think of that? And how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Why do you say that? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're leading your clients on a... Like a, you know, a, kind of like a stream of consciousness opening doors in their brains that they've never opened before so that they can reach a conclusion that they already have within themselves, but they just need the permission slip mm-hmm. to be able to act on it, right? So it's like excavating something that's already inside of you. I'm not giving it to you. I'm giving you the container and the road for you to reach your truth mm-hmm. through this process, which is why I like that co-creation is so important. So that's one thing that she said that really resonated with me. And, and the second thing I was going to say, um, oh no, it escaped me. Hold on. So asking really great questions and understanding. So yeah, understanding that like your clients, I think, yeah, is or that, that was what I was going to say, that they're the expert of their own lives, that I'm not there giving them the answer. Oh, I remember now. Second thing I was going to say. Um, another thing that she said to me is people don't see their blind spots the coaches do. Yes. Yes. So it's almost like when I, when, like when I get on a connection call with my clients and they say all these things, it's like, a, like around them, I can see all the answers that are mm-hmm. so clear, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give them to them. I'm going to give them a roadmap for them to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. And so funny, like I just had a client who on the first call, I already knew what the problem was. She's like, I just don't understand why this keeps happening to me. I won't say any names because of, you know, for confidentiality purposes, but long story short, she was having an issue because she kept noticing this pattern was repeating itself with her sexual partners. Mm-hmm. It was very clear to me that she was picking the wrong people to have sex with. <laughs> but she kept saying, like, I don't know why this keeps happening. In my head, I was like, it's because you're picking the wrong people. I didn't say anything, right? Yeah. Like, we've had five sessions now, and finally she had this. And she was oh my God, I, the problem is the people that I'm picking. And I was like, yeah you know but it was so cool to be able to take her on that journey right not just giving her the answers but seeing that blind spot and then seeing her come to that conclusion I mean that's just the coolest experience like like the coolest feeling as a a coach yeah oh my god just like words from a like free advice from a very embodied coach you know and I've been ranting a lot about you know um, since I'm opening the Huber school kind of being a good coach, being a good healer, and what you just described is exactly what I think makes a good coach. It's like 
just really, really listening. And I love what you said about asking questions that like open doors to new pathways to have you walk through. Yeah, like my favorite is when my client says, I never thought of that before. I'm like, good. Yeah. Or when by the end of the call, they're just like, it's like they're, oh, it's the best. It's so gratifying. So I can only, you know, and that's the thing. That's why I wanted to ask you about like who you like to work with because I think that people see sex coach or sex educator and they get like sparkly eyes and they're like, that must be really fun. And I'm like, I'm sure that that's a lot harder of work than you can ever imagine. People aren't calling Jocelyn to work with them because like, I mean, I'm sure there's, fun stuff, right? But like, it's not just all fun. And, and, you know, I think um, coaching is something you and I obviously take very seriously. And, and, and my next question, it's kind of like, part of me wants to loop backwards, part of me wants to loop forward. I think they're kind of a similar question. I support a lot of queer people in their journey. I feel like a lot of people, they don't come to work with me because they are queer. They come to work with me because they're lost and needing help and needing someone to support them on their awakening. And I find that a lot of people's spiritual awakenings happen alongside their sexual awakenings. And that's kind of my story, that's why I started Spiritually Queer. So queer healing specifically is really important to me. So A, I'm like, let's just see where the where the story rolls. A, I'd be really curious to hear about when you discovered your sexuality as a queer woman, because it sounds like, you know, you had sex with a man for the first time, and you're like, this is fun. That was not my experience. And so I'm sure that at some point you were like, I want more than just this. And I'm sure that for you, there was a lot of unpacking that needed to be done there. So I'll just ask you my next question now, because someone asked me this. Someone just like commented on my Instagram the other day, and I was talking about how just because, just because you come out of the closet doesn't mean you're healed, and that actually that's the beginning of your healing journey, and that you really need to unpack why you stayed in the closet for so long. I stayed in the closet for like 21 years. It's like so painful. I really think it almost killed me, as it does a lot of people. Um, and so someone commented saying, so how do we consciously start the healing journey in this regard? And I'm like, that's like all the work that I'm doing right here on the planet. But I am going to make the assumption that you also have queer clients who are like buried in to start that healing journey so I just asked you so much at once go ahead and dive in wherever you'd be like started I'm, I'm thinking so there's two pathways that I, I want to go so let me let's let's talk about my queer my coming out story and then we'll talk about the, the the overarching theme of everything you just said and you're right I do I do have clients that come to me really painful stories you know so so yeah I'll get there so okay so my coming out story I am very much attracted to humans, like cisgender men, transgender women, cisgender women, transgender men, non-binary individuals. I just love humans. Like, I don't really give a fuck what your gender is. I don't care what's in between your legs. Um, If you're hot, you're hot. If I'm attracted to you, I'm attracted to you. Like, gender for me is not a thing. I call myself bisexual because some people's brains can't wrap their heads around the fact that I don't actually have an identity. Like, in college, people used to be like, what are you? And I'd be like, I'm just a fucking sexual person. I just like sex. And I like humans. And I like having sex with humans. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't have to tell you. You know what I mean? We need a label. So, like, for a second, for, like, a while, I used to be like, okay, I'm pansexual. But I was like, that doesn't feel good. And 
And I was like, no, fuck, I'm just going to say bisexual. But if I can identify myself in the best way is I'm a sexual being that just loves humans. Period. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. Whatever. You know, that's how it feels. Yeah. Whatever. So yeah, in, in college, I, it's funny because I did all the queer things without actually being queer. So like, I was like part of the queer alliance. I would like hang out at the LGBT center all the time. I like all my friends were like bisexual or like lesbian or gay. And that's why people can be like, you know, everyone's like curious about queer because they've never seen me date. Like, that everyone just thought I was like an ally, right? So, um, I've always, you know, whatever dated cisgender men, and um, but I always tell myself like my mentality was always around like you know if I fall in love with someone who's not a cisgender man, I'm, or like if if I become attracted to someone who's not a cisgender man, I'm not going to deny myself the opportunity to fall in love right with mm-hmm. someone of a different gender identity. So that is with romance, but the first time I engaged sexually with a woman it was when I was 23 years old. It was a threesome situation. That's when I became in love with being a unicorn. I was like, <laughs> being a unicorn is so much fun. And I really enjoyed the experience, right? But like before that, I don't I don't know if the word is shame when it comes to how I felt about my I think I don't know what the word is. I think it was fear. I was scared of my sexual desires. I was like scared to talk to women. I was scared to have sex with women. I was like scared to tell people like like they were like it's weird, you know, like it was a lot of fear that I had around just like embracing my sexuality. And like I said, from 18 to 23, right? That was the, the, that like the whole grueling process I went to. So when I was 23, I was like, all right, I'm ready to like go fuck the world, right? So then after that, when I was like 25, I met my spouse who is non-binary and fucking fell in love with them. And I promised myself, I said, if I fall in love with someone who's not a cisgender man, I refuse to hide them from my family. So I said, okay, I have, you know, I know what I must do. I have to now tell my friends. Because at that point, my friends already knew. I have my friends. All my closest friends already knew, like, yeah, you're queer. Obviously, you're queer. It was pretty obvious that I was queer. Just like, whatever. Um, so suddenly, I bring, like, a really masculine, you know, presenting woman around, like, you know, the family. And everyone's kind of cocking their eye, like, hmm, this is your friend, Jocelyn, you know? Um, and I, I I think that my, my story is very different than a lot of people's because my brother is 14 years old and he's a gay man. He was closeted for many, 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 many years. And my, my family just never talked about his sexuality. And so I think that when my mom had suspicions that I was dating my spouse, at the, you know, at the time we were just dating, um, when she had her suspicions, I think that kind of made my mom be like, oh, fuck, like, I have two queer kids. I have to face this, right? And at the time, I had been conditioning my dad because my, my my dad would say a lot of homophobic things, and I would you know always correct him because I don't you know he would say like maricon or homofobo, and I would have to correct him because I didn't want him to like hurt my brother's feelings. And also, like, I don't want to fucking hear that shit, you know. So I was kind of like conditioning, you know, like slowly conditioning my parents out of their homophobia. But then, like I said, when I started bringing my spouse around, they kind of like, okay, what's this? So finally, I told my mom, I said, hey, I have to tell you something, you know, this person is not my friend, they're my girl, or at the, at the time, we, we changed identities while we were dating, but, you know, they're my, my partner. And my mom was like, I know, I've been going to therapy for the last few months to come to terms with it, and she was like, and I love you, and I accept you. And that flung the doors open for her to start working on her relationship with my brother. 
And now my brother's openly gay. He's even brought a, an ex, you know, they're not dating anymore, but he brought a boyfriend home when they were together. My mom tells him, like, you want to bring a guy home? Like, we'd love to meet him, you know? We want you to be happy. My dad accepts my brother also. He came out to my dad a few years ago. And I think that, um, so I'm really grateful that that was the experience that I had because I think that actually helped me get rid of a lot of the fear that I had at that time. I was able to just kind of like, Okay, and fun. And it's funny, actually. Me and my spouse don't talk anymore, but they're like, no, my uh, them and my mom are like BFFs. They still hang out. They like go hiking and shit. So like, my mom loves my ex spouse. Now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's funny. I, I love that. I love that they have a friendship. That's so. Yeah. So that was kind of my story with that. So, like I said, I was super Catholic, super religious. Pendulum swung the completely you know, swung the completely opposite way, and I was atheist cheating, lying, manipulating. I had no moral compass. I had no sense of integrity, right? And when I got caught in my lying, cheating, manipulative ways, I became very suicidal, very depressed, got into Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Through that program, I think that the most important thing that I learned was integrity and authenticity. And here's the thing. My pattern is I I would rather lie to you and cheat on you and make you happy than to tell you the truth. Because mm-hmm. if I'm honest with myself, there's a lot of things that my spouse wanted that I did not want, that I loved them so much that the thought of disappointing them just broke my heart. So instead I lied, I cheated, so that to keep them happy, right? And then, and then I have my cake and eat it too. Extreme people Extreme people yeah, extreme people So through, you know, slaw, through, through that program, the biggest thing that I learned was integrity and authenticity. And so I read this book called The Big Leap. I love that. By Gay Hendricks. Yeah! It's a good book. And in that book, book. yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And in that book, he talks about integrity from a physics perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, when something is in integrity, it's whole and it's complete. Energy can move through it freely. When something is out of integrity, it's like putting a, a pebble in a hose. It stops energy flow completely. So if I ask you, like, hey, how's your, how's your day? And you say it's fine. I'm like, automatically, you're out of integrity. You stunted flow between us. Now we can't have an energy flow, right? If I say, hey, how's your day? You're like, oh, my God, it's such a great day. Your energy, your words, everything is in alignment. I know you're telling the truth. And now we can have energy flow. Tell me why it's so great. Oh, this and this and this happened. That's amazing. When you stand in your integrity, you have the ability for energy flow to to, to continue, right? The reason why so many of us are stifled in our life and the reason why so many people, like you said, once they embrace their sexuality, they're able to kind of start their healing process is because it doesn't have anything to do with being gay or not gay or queer or whatever. It has to do with being authentic. It has to do with standing in your integrity. Like I tell my clients, I don't give a fuck if you're about to throw up, if you're shaking, if you're having cold sweats, you're going to fucking tell the truth because the the truth is going to set you free. Like, and I had to learn that through being a cheating piece of shit. And I'm very upfront with it. Like, because like, I'm even getting like chills talking about it because that's just the reality of my story. I was a cheating, lying piece of shit. And I learned how to how to be a person of integrity 
through all of my bullshit behaviors. And now, honesty and integrity is like one of the biggest core values of my life. I am honest, I would say 98% of the time. I don't fucking lie. I don't lie. Because I've seen how lies can really ruin your life. And not just your life, but as Dave Hendrick says, it stifles energy flow. So if you have energy flow stifled on multiple areas of your life, you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. But the moment you start saying your truth, whether that be it's because you're gay, you're queer, or because you want to travel the world, or because you don't want to be a doctor, you want to be, I don't know, a circus performer, whatever the fuck your truth is, the more you practice speaking your truth, the more you allow yourself to heal and be free and liberated as a person. Girl! <laughs> I love this. I, I've had a lot of people come onto my show and just admit what a dark night of the soul they were in and how it and I think those are the people I admire the most who can, because I can look back on me being 19, closeted, lying about everything. I didn't know what was true from untrue. I was so deep in my own bullshit. I hated everybody. I was different to everyone's stuff. Everyone was out to give me all of that. And literally, a book by the Dalai Lama that I read, the first one I ever read, like in chapter one, he says, You know, you can be honest, but you know what it's safe to be honest. And that's something I find myself telling my you know that it's safe, to be honest, and that you're actually going to be safer in that space. And I think, similar to what you said, you would lie to keep yourself safe and to keep others happy. And so I think a lot of people don't even realize that safety is actually, uh, sorry, truthfulness is a safe space. And um, this message about integrity is just, it's everything that I preach, it's everything that I teach, like integrity is everything. Especially if you're trying to become, like, I don't know, aligned for the land of your dreams and all that shit. And you know what? This is such a random anecdote, but we ran into each other at the Real Coconut. Mm-hmm. And I had this awkward moment because I was like, duh, you knew she was coming and you didn't grab her a seat. And then I felt like a bitch because I didn't <laughs> grab her a seat. And you were like, I'm actually here for one on one time with Julietta. And I was like, duh, I knew that I could be such an idiot. <laughs> But, and it was just funny, like, I was just like, I'm so out of it, I'm sorry. But in that moment, I was like, I trust that bitch. Mm. I was like, I can trust this person. Because she's not going to awkwardly, like, yeah, I'll sit with you, even though I'm totally not here to see you, I'm here to see someone else, and you're missing, like, I trusted you more because of that. And the other day, my friend Alex, like, we were going to go to this whole big event at a Sinope, I texted you about it, yeah. And he was like, Jane, I gotta be honest, I'm waking up today and that is not where I want to spend my day. Like, I think I want to spend my day at the beach and if you want to come, I would love that. But if you want to go to the event, like, you should go. And I was like, I trust, he felt so bad. I'm like, I trust you so much more. There's something about people who don't let the opinions or needs of others influence what they truly want to do or what their focus or attentions are. But just like, it's like I have relief because if I invite you to go do something with me, if I invite Alex to go do something with me, I know it's because they do genuinely want to be there. You came all the way to Tulum today because you genuinely wanted to be here. Not because you're like, oh God, I don't like go people please Jane. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, look, who wants to be around that energy, right? Where you're like not even sure if someone wants to hang out with you. So this like, I feel like you did loop very well into this beginning of like, 
authenticity, honesty, integrity, like pulling back the veil. What happens if you're honest? <laughs> I don't care if you're vomiting, puking, shaking. You will tell the truth. I call it energetic fucking clarity. The second something feels a certain way, we try to speak it. Even if it means just saying, universe, I just realized that I like fabricated this information and I'm not sure why, but we're going to notice that and we're going to like tune into why because if you go far enough back, you know, I was shamed for being gay at five years old for playing with my friends, right? Playing house with my friends. And that, I didn't unpack that until like maybe two or three years ago, like how deep that was. And so I think a lot of us, like, we want to go right into that shit and start unpacking that, but we can't. We have to start at the first layer of, like, actually I am gay, and actually I am recovering from this, and actually this is who I really am. And we have to start peeling back those layers, and authenticity is such a and gives us the life that we want. Like, right now, my life is in such flow, and I think you might be experiencing this too, because, like you said, there's no and the second I feel like this weekend, I feel like I smoked way too much pot this weekend. <laughs> and I woke up this morning kind of like, there's just a little pebble in the hose there, but it's cool because once we clear that out, I'm going to feel much better. And I love that like those are the little complaints that I have. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh my god, blackout drunk three days in a row again this weekend. Like, well, I just smoked a little more than you too. Like, those extremes get less and less and less the more we are. Yes, and I want to add that that was not easy for me to tell you. When I was at the cafe, I I remember I was walking there, and Julieta texted me and said, hey, Jane is there, and I I I told Julieta, okay, I would really like some one-on-one time with you, and she Mm -hmm. goes, absolutely, I'm just letting you know Jane is there. I was like, great, and then when you said that, I was like, fuck, I'm like, I really want one-on-one time, (laughs) and so, like, I just want to, like, I want to really reiterate that that was not easy, and I think that people don't realize this shit is not easy. Yeah. It's not like, oh, like I'm out of of integrity and I just tell the truth all the time. I'm like, it's perfect. Like, no. I had my fears. Sorry, like that everyone. I had my fears. I'm like, oh my god, what if Jane doesn't like me anymore? Like, what if she doesn't want to be my friend? What if she thinks what a bitch? You know what I mean? Like, of course those thoughts went through my head, but then I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna fucking sit through two hours of discomfort so that this shit can like me. No, I'm gonna have my one-on-one time with my friend. Yeah. And then like eventually I'm going to have one-on-one time with Jane because yeah. I knew that was going to happen at some point. And if she doesn't, and then also if she doesn't like me for me speaking my truth, then she's not someone that I want in my life either way, right? But I want to be real and say that that wasn't easy for me. And it's not, it like, and that's the thing that people don't realize, it's not fucking easy to tell the truth. But man, and one of the slob of uh, meetings I was in, this man said this and it just stuck in my head. He says, Self-betrayal is like biting into a sweet fruit with a bitter aftertaste. It always feels kind of good. You're appeasing everyone around you. You know, kind of betraying yourself. But And then afterwards, you just feel inner chaos. And you're like, fuck what I lied. Right? Damn it. I didn't get what I wanted. Integrity feels like biting into a bitter fruit with a sweet aftertaste. Because it's like, damn, I'm disappointing some people. I might be letting down some people. I might be hurting some people's feelings. But I'm at peace with myself because I'm speaking my truth. And that's the thing is that, like, the shit ain't easy, but fuck, it's, it beats the hell out of lying, right? 
lying to yourself and lying to others. And what you said also about um, that you felt like you trusted me. I was just about to say, even if when you're honest and hurt someone's feelings, like for example, people, a lot of my clients come to me to huge fear of rejection, right? But I'm like, if you reject me straight up, like, hey, Joss, like, I don't want to be your friend, or hey, I don't want to date you, or like, actually, I'd be like, that hurt, but like, thanks. Yeah. I fucking love when people say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I'm like, amazing. Ooh, that hurt a little bit, but like, thank you, right? Now I know how to like redirect my energy. I would, I'd rather have that a million times. Also, if we apply this to sex, right? Like, for example, people like appease their partner by not telling them what's wrong or by faking orgasms, nobody wins. Like, who the fuck's gonna win? Who the fuck, who wins when you're lying? Nobody wins. You're an inner turmoil. The other person's living a lie because you're not telling the truth. Literally, nobody wins. At least when you're speaking your truth, actually, when you're speaking your truth, everybody wins. Because even if you put someone's feelings or whatever, or they, you know, they, they don't like your truth, they know that you're speaking your truth and then they can figure their shit out and move on and do whatever they have to do. Yeah. Right? So it's like, it's always a lose-lose when you're not in your integrity. And it will always be a win-win when you are. No matter how messy of a situation Ultimately, in the end, it'll be great. Oh, my God. Sorry. One more thing I want to say. Yes. Another reason why I'm so big on integrity is because did you know that stand, the living an authentic life actually reduces your chance of getting an auto, like chronic illness, autoimmune diseases, and cancer? Really? Gabor Mate. You know Gabor Mate? Okay. So he's a clinician that studies addiction, and he actually came out with research that said that one of the biggest preventers of chronic illness is living an authentic life because a lot of what self-betrayal is is literally ignoring your intuition where the fuck is your intuition in your belly what do you have in your belly brain cells right like your intuition is like your gut feeling when you keep ignoring that you're literally attacking your immune system and then your immune system starts attacking itself so this isn't even about like, oh yeah, be like a good moral person. This is like, you can die if you keep betraying yourself. Like, this is like some real you shit. And this is, and this is also why they came up with the fourth survival technique, right? Flight, fight, uh, flight, fight, freeze, and fawn, right? Because it's like, once yeah. I learned that, I was like, oh! I know, right? And it's linked to childhood trauma because, yeah, see <laughs> It's all, okay. it all comes together. <laughs> I have to tell you this. Um, I feel like my audience has probably heard me say this a hundred times, but you might be fat. And just the way that you just framed it from Gibramate, like, when I was closeted, I kept going to the hospital because I thought I was having heart attacks. Mm -hmm. It felt like someone was, a hand on my front, a hand on my back, just crushing me. Mm -hmm. And I was sure I was having heart attacks. I kept going to the ER. They would give me anxiety medication. They would tell me you're having I was just like, I don't think that these are anxiety attacks, but okay. Continued, continued. One day in San Diego, like, while I'm literally, like, having an affair with my best friend, she has a boyfriend, like, nobody knows it, we're keeping it a secret. I'm spending all day with my sister, not telling her about it, and the girl I'm having an affair with isn't texting me back, and, like, everything just feels like it's building up inside of me. And I have the worst episode where for 45 minutes, I'm sure I'm having a heart attack. I cannot breathe. My body is closing up, and my, my mom calls her surgeon friend, and she's like, stick her in a hot shower. And she sticks me in a hot shower, and everything stops. Only if I'm in the shower, it stops. So I go, I finally go to, like, a fancy 
I get, I had to do two probes down my throat, and I come out, and the doctor was like, you or you your immune system is in awful shape. I was diagnosed with a chronic condition called eosophilus esophagitis, which is where your esophagus closes shut, and it feels like you're having a heart attack. And it just swells up so much that it closes. And because of that, I had two types of infections happening in my body. One of them is candida. And you call like candida a professional who does candida in your esophagus, but it's like, how did you do that? Like, how did you get so sick that you got infections for your infections? And I had to go on a medical leave from school because my heart was too inflamed. Like, everything. I was also severely anorexic. There was a lot going on there. And so I had to be put on like a shit ton of medication, I had to change my diet, all of these things to start feeling pregnant. But maybe a couple of months after that diagnosis, I finally came out, maybe within a year. Came out of the closet, haven't had an episode since, stopped medicating, no infections at all, never had had one since. And every once in a while I try to remind myself that I can still have this condition, I can get inflamed easily, I think all of us can walk the inflammation in general. But gone. No more. Cause they were like, they were like, you're gonna have a high was at like 14 percent risk of a heart attack. Something like that. They were like, no more running, no more yoga, no more going to school. You just have to risk everything. And for a year, I had to just like chill. That's why I tell people like, it's energetic. When you keep this stuff in, it's it's subtle. It's subtle energy that starts to build and build and build and build until it is matter. Yeah. Until it is like lesions in the body, cancer all kinds of diseases, and so I was just like, I just got to tell you that I'm living proof of that, because after about a year of, like, intensive studying, practicing Buddhism, yoga, all of that, my doctors were like, what is happening? They were shocked at how quickly I was. They were like, what is your secret? And I was like, I came out, and I started meditating. And they were like, we're, we're giving you, like, a recovered bag. Like, you don't need to see us anymore. We can take it from So that was a wild experience. That's why I'm so obsessed with this idea that you can come out of the closet and then you feel completely And for people that are not here, you can start living your authentic life, start speaking in integrity always, mm-hmm. and you will literally feel yourself. To apply that to sex and intimacy, two things. Did you know that the treatment for vaginismus, which is involuntary spasms of the pelvic floor, is therapy and coaching? When a gynecologist tells you you have vaginismus, go see a therapist. For fucking vaginismus, which is when your vagina tightens up during sex. It's a physical manifestation of a mental and emotional block. That blew my mind when I started coaching, and I was like, I have... I can heal vaginismus, you know what I mean? I was like, through coaching, yeah, I can help people with that. Like, that was, that blew, like, not me, but like, coaching can heal vaginismus. That was so mind-blowing. And two, I actually have a client, uh, this, like, it always makes me happy to talk about her. It's funny, she's actually a family member of mine who started working with me. Um, she has been trying to have a baby for 20 years. You're working with me, she got pregnant. She says the sex was so good, or what? Oh my god, because she was carrying around so much shit. Mm-hmm. 
she was not living in her integrity. She was not being honest. She told me things that she had never told anybody before. She allowed herself to be open. She just like, yeah. And she she got pregnant and she called me. She's like, you're not going to fucking. She already came to terms with the fact that she can never have a baby. And then she called me. She's like, you're not going to believe this. I was like, what? She goes, I'm pregnant. And she's like, in Dawson, I think it was because of the coaching. I think it was because of our family. Yeah, I was like, holy, this is some real <laughs> shit. Or she already had her baby. She's a like, baby girl. So oh beautiful. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Oh, congratulations. Isn't that dope? Like, the power of living your authenticity. Yeah. Like, yeah. living in integrity. Really, though. And this is something I teach in my throat chakra lesson, which is all about alignment. For anyone listening, that's something you can think about. And this is something I always ask my clients. like, what's that thing that you love Something else I was also going to add is that I think one of the blessings of um, 
that I had when I started being a sex educator is that when I was 20 years old, I actually started my journey in a collective called Fuji Los Angeles, and we did comprehensive sex educational workshops that were queer and trans focused. So my very beginnings of sex education was talking about strap-ons and dildos and how trans people have affirming sex, how queer people have affirming sex, how to like use proper language, how to talk about like what happens when your body doesn't match like what like how you think what you want sex to look like for yourself. And I think that was a really big blessing for me because my perspective on sexuality is so broad because of that. And something I always tell my heterosexual clients is sex is not just penis and vagina. Sex could be a hot makeout session. Sex could be eye gazing at dinner. Like sex does not have to be one way, right? And I think that that also helps heterosexual people get rid of their shame because they put so much emphasis on the penis must go in the vagina, right? <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's like when you broaden your you know expand your views on sex, it really kind of and I think that that's actually one of the great gifts of being a queer individual is that you already know that sex is going to look different for you, so you have the opportunity to be creative, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. a little bit of a tangent, but yeah. I love that. Yeah, we've already broken free from, I feel, that's why I always say queer liberation is human liberation, because yes. people who are stuck in, no, I don't want to say stuck, heteronormative people who are like, I'm cis hetero. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being cis hetero at all. Like, I, I hate when people follow things like that by saying, but I'm gonna say, and <laughs> and y'all find yourself in boxes too. I mean, I've had girlfriends where like we have sex and each time it's the same fucking thing. And I'm like, come on, we're queer, let's have a little bit more fun here. One of my friends, it took her all the courage one day after she had had a couple of drinks to ask me. So when lesbians have sex, is, do you guys just like always have your strap-ons with you ready to go? Because <laughs> how can you have sex if like no penetration is happening? A penis must go inside a vagina in order for it to be sex. I just like all of a sudden... Even if it's a fake penis, there must be a penis present. I just like imagine two lesbian girls on dates and both of them have their straps in their purse. <laughs> I wanted to create a funny TikTok. I thought this would be so funny because, like, the thing that I find hilarious is that, like, like for example, me and my ex, when we did use our strap, it was always such an ordeal because we typically didn't use it. So I used to joke around that, like, the moment that, like, like, like you laying in bed waiting for your partner to, like, go get the, like, go get the dong, wash it, put it on, size it up, like. <laughs> it is a five-step process, you yeah. guys. This is not <laughs> I always like joke like okay like I'm just gonna lay here and like use my vibrator until you're ready just to wait. go. Yeah, well, but oh my god, and that's the joke around town because everyone in Tulum, my five friends that live here, know my sex life is that like when Jane's got a lover in town, she's got to start working on actually receiving the dick because mm -hmm. it. I literally have to build up towards. I can't just take a strap on any time of the day. <laughs> I, and it's funny because I'm like, I like envy these girls that can just like take a dick any moment of the that, that is me. I, I am those girls. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and it's like, that's that's what made me laugh so hard when my friend asked me that. And I laughed for probably 30 minutes and I was like, I'm so sorry I'm laughing so hard. Like, you've been my friend for so many years and I can't believe you're asking me this. But, like, no. 
And that's what I, it showed me like how small minded people, hetero people see as sex when I'm like, so, like a lot of people say like, I heard lesbian sex lasts for hours and hours and hours because you can keep going and going and going. And I'm like, I don't think that it's because we're chasing orgasm after orgasm after orgasm. I think that it's because for queer people, I'll say, there isn't as clear of a beginning of sex starting mm -hmm. and then ending. And I think that we can enjoy so much every moment that leads up to the penetration. Yes. Even if we're sleeping together for weeks before the penetration mm -hmm. happens, you know, before I think that's what we're gonna get. And and so we get to really enjoy the whole experience and I think that we want to invite, you know, heteronormative people into that opening and that we get to enjoy all of the things before that regular yeah, I, I never actually thought of it that way, but you're right, there is no beginning and end. Because, like, in heterosexual sex, it's like, once the male, the penis owner ejaculates, it's over. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. And you know what? Okay, and if you take it as a step further, right, like, the world really only teaches you about well-endowed penis owners and vagina owners, right? Like, vulva owners and how they have sex. Because if you think about it, like, what about individuals that have micro penises? Right? What about um, vagina owners that like it? Like it's very challenging for them to receive penetration, or for them that don't like penetration, right? That are heterosexual but don't like it. Like it's not just about like oh queer versus not, but like the reason why I keep saying that is because I think that sometimes labeling things as queer not queer creates a barrier. I just think it's expanding your view and your definition on sexuality overall. I think that's why I hate labels so much for me. Like, I don't, like, yeah, whatever, I'm bi. I'm just, I just, again, I'm a sex person that likes sex with humans, right? Like, that's just my way. And I don't care, I don't give a fuck what your gender is, right? Like, because I think that, yeah, that expansion creates so much freedom and strips away shame, right? Like, I actually had a long-term relationship with a man who had a micropenis. We could not have, pen like, good, pleasurable, fulfilling, penetrative sex. It wasn't in the cards for us. But we were creative as all hell. And I had, we had a great sex life. We were together for a year and a half. And, like, I always tell people, like, yo, like, if, I, if we could do it, anybody could do it, right? It's just about expanding your mind, you know, being creative, um, yeah, and exploring. Again. It's like the enjoying the energy between two bodies. Yeah. And, again, knowledge and courage. Courage, it's, baby. Yeah, having the knowledge, expanding your mind, and then having the courage to try something. You know what? Courage, people. Hold on to that because one of the most common questions I get that we won't even get into is like, how do I start dating girls? Just be brave enough to do it. That's Feel it. the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, Feel the fear. fear. Yeah, it's going to be scary. <laughs> Just embrace that. Our conversation, I do feel like, is leading into, and this is maybe somewhere we can kind of finish up because I'm like, you're going you're gonna to come back. Oh, I'm having so much fun. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I feel like my audience wants back. to hear a lot more. <laughs> Because there's just like there's so many aspects of you that I resonate with um, that we connect over, which is why I'm just excited to have a new friend like you. Um, but you, again, I know you're not into labels, but the way you're describing yourself, you come off as someone who is open, non-monogamous, polyamorous, all of this. And I actually have known a lot of people who will say things like you, who will be like, I fucking cheated in every relationship. I never could stop, blah, blah, blah. Like, I never knew what was wrong with me. I always felt awful. And to those, and I've had a lot of clients who are like that. And the question that I've been asking people so much lately 
pretended that you are monogamous. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I think monogamy is a decision that we have to make. If you're not choosing to be monogamous, you're all of the other things. You're not monogamous, right? And I think that, like, I'm not trying to, like, get everyone to be in open relationships, but for, I know that when people say things like that, like, blah 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 kind of these kinds of storylines where they're beating themselves and they're beating themselves up and like what's wrong with me that's when I ask them like when did you choose monogamy because I think it's chosen for us mm-hmm. it's a good thing. and it's funny because now that I'm like I came out to my family right they've accepted that Jane is a lesbian and they've like really accepted that and really gotten on board and now I'm like eventually they're gonna need a, they're gonna realize that I'm poly <laughs> Like, so my mom knows it, and, and I think she thinks because I'm a world traveler, it just makes sense that I'm not going to be monogamous with people. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we'll, we'll get to this later. But um, I'm curious on uh, if, like, you had a similar journey where you were like, oh, I'm not a cheater, I'm just not monogamous. Like, do you want to share anything about that? Yeah, yeah, so 1000%. Yeah, one, yeah, but here's the funny thing. I was gonna. I was trying non-monogamy before I discovered integrity and failed miserably because I was like, "Oh, don't ask, don't tell. I'll do whatever I want. You do whatever you want." But I still kept cheating because I was like, "I don't have enough freedom. I needed all the freedom." So the reason why I say that is because, like, I think people say, you know, I've heard a lot of individuals say, "Oh, I just think monogamy isn't for me. I want to do non-monogamy." But if you have not practiced integrity, you will not be a successful non-monogamous person, right? Because, like, literally the basis of of non-monogamy is fucking telling the truth. Like, you know, being excited about someone new that you've met and being honest with your partner about it. Say, I'm really excited I've met this other person. And, like, practicing conversion. Like, that shit's hard. Like, it is not easy to do that shit, right? Integrity needs to be a core value that you practice on a daily basis if you want to be successful in non-monogamous. It, it just, it has to, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. It's just, it's important because I was trying to do it the other way and it failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And now that I know how to be a person of integrity, which took me a long time to get to where I am right now, I could say that, like, I am now ready to engage in a polyamorous relationship, a successful polyamorous relationship, right? I love that that's immediately what you brought it to because I I have been in so many non-monogamous polyamorous situations. I wouldn't even call them relationships because I think it's a shame on the polyamorous community to say that I was in those when I wasn't. Like my first boyfriend and I, when I told him I'm pretty sure I'm gay and like I'm scared, um, he was like, let's open our relationship, problem solved. He broke every rule that I had set in terms of that openness. And I was devastated. I was heartbroken, right? Neither of of us were in any sort of integrity. And every polyamorous situation ship that I got myself into after that, it it was just a lot of pain. Like, I feel like I brought people pain. It's like, now that Jane's here, there's a problem. And And I just, I got very turned off by all of that. And then I realized the missing piece was that, like, a lot of these people were wanting to practice 
polyamory, but they were not allowed it in the WWE and they were trusting themselves to actually be fully practicing on it. And so I got out of a four-year monogamous relationship and, you know, was like, I don't ever want to be in that position again. That was really, really exciting. It was really, really fun. Really and the first person I meet is like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Polly. <laughs> Great, but nobody's Polly like me because even like, you know, the first girl that I hooked up with this summer, like, her boyfriend was texting her, you know, talking to her. And I was just like, why do I keep on ending it? Like, I literally was like, Jane, you keep on ending up in these situations. You need to figure this out. What's out of integrity for you that you keep on ending up with people where you feel like, uh huh, like, why, why, why is no one happy until when Jane enters the group, you know? So then, of course, I meet this new person, Meg, who you got to meet, and when she described her polyamory to me, I was like, wow, you get it. And this person and I, we are so deeply rooted in our own integrity, we are so honest, we are so truthful. She had this big date planned last weekend, and then the girl, like, had this emergency and blew her off, and, like, I was bummed for her. I was, like, all day, I was, like, I'm so glad that, like, the person I love gets to be loved tonight, because I can't be there. And, like, I don't want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be doing this other thing. And so I'm in this, like, finally in this place where I'm, like, wow, I love how this works. I, and I think that all of this, it's so funny. Being gay, you can't just come out and be like, I'm gay now, and then like go get into a bunch of shitty relationships. You can't just like decide, like, I'm poly now, and then it's like go wreck a bunch of relationships. Like, I have a vision for our community to just be so, like, that's why I love that you brought this community up so much because to be so integral and conscious and moment by moment and step at a time. And I think the easiest thing for me. Is I talk about like charges. Like the same you feel a charge in your body. Like if you and I were talking and you said something that was just like, you know, I'd be like, okay, I would really, really try to be like, so the way you just said that word, like, oof, it hit me in this way. And I would really want you to like know that. And that's how I should try to show up in my relationship. Is like the second there's a charge, a feeling, or even like if a partner of mine was like, yeah, I'm going on a date with this person, I'm taking them here, and then I, like, oh, wow, I've literally said this, oh, wow, this is weird, I'm, like, feeling jealous in the moment. What am I jealous of? Why? What do I feel like I'm losing? You know, kind of opening that up instead of attacking the jealousy or attacking the discomfort. And it's, I've literally, in all the relationships I'm in right now, I've just never felt so free because I'm in such deep trust, just like with you, with Alex, with Julieta, with Megan, you have a problem, you will let me know. If you don't like what I'm doing, you're going to tell me. If you want to see me, you will let me know. If you feel like I'm not giving you enough attention, you're going to tell me. And then we're never in these weird, uncomfortable spots with anybody. Of like, like I know a lot of people are always worried. Like, I hope they like me. I hope this person is so much me. I literally, I'm never in that worrying about my relationships anymore. Because I'm only with people who are just like crystal clear. Okay, that's why these. I remember in the beginning of the podcast where I was like, I'm figuring some shit out. Yes. I think that is what I'm. Fa- that, that's actually the phase I'm in right now. Ooh. How do I create safety in casual sexual situations? 
Because I have so far been <clears throat> successful in some and very unsuccessful in others. And I love that you just said that, asking yourself the question, where am I being out of integrity? Because I'm okay, I'm gonna keep it real. I'm gonna keep it real. I have been in nonstop anxiety over this guy that I hooked up with last week. And I have been obsessing over him for the past couple of weeks. Mm. But I'm watching this happen to my body and to my mind kind of like a movie. Like, I'm, I'm very much detaching myself from the thoughts. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking, oh, hi, he's in my mind again. Oh, I'm thinking about him again. And right now that you said that, I'm like, there is something that is off about the people that I'm choosing to engage casually with. And I'm very honest about this because, like, again, if I, like, part of the beauty of coaching versus therapy, in no shades of therapy, because I, I'm a huge advocate for therapy as well, but one of the things that I love about coaching so much is that what makes a good coach is someone who's been through it. Right, someone who's gone through the journey who can give you some steps to get there. And the journey that I'm currently in is how do I pick partners that that have all the things that I need? And I am in that wonder right now. So I think that this conversation is really kind of giving me the permission slip to message him and be like, "Yo, this is how I feel about you. Is this being reciprocated?" So I can either stop wasting my time obsessing over you, or I can be like excited about the next time I'm gonna see you. Right. This is the shit that sucks about being a human. But like we all go through it, and I'm just you know yeah. I'm glad that you said that right now because it's it's it is hard. It's challenging. And there's the thing is that like the casual scene and the more committed right relationships they look similar but different, right? Because they're like the casual is a little less less involved, right? Whereas the the committed one, there's more expectations. But I hate it when people say, well, he doesn't owe you anything. You don't owe him anything. They don't owe you anything. And I don't like that because it's like if you're sharing yourself with them on an intimate level, like there has been some connection that was established. And I do think it's okay to have some type of communication. So anyways, thank you for that reflection. Happy that I could support you. And, you know, it's funny because that might be a huge difference between us. And it's, it's funny. It's the biggest difference in all the girls that I date is that I am very demonstrative. Mm-hmm. I fall in love first. I want to know all the ins and outs of your brain, and then I'm going to want to send it to you mm-hmm. after talking to you for like eight hours straight and learning everything about you. <coughs> I've never had a one night stand. I've never been very mm-hmm. casual. It's just like, and it used to frustrate me because the girls I would date would be like, oh, I just hooked up with that girl last week and that person, and they'd be like very all, and like also most of the girls I date are like very fluid too, and I'm like not very fluid. Like I just want one type of person. And one, at a date with like one of my favorite partners, if she's listening, she was like, I think you're demisexual. You think that? And I was like, wow, I feel so seen right now. Yes, yes. And it helped me realize like that's why I feel this friction with the girls I date who are so much more active than me. And, and it's funny because I love being poly and open, but I'm, like, always looking for someone to fall in love with me. Mm-hmm. And, like, be on that journey. Like, I'm rarely, like, oh, I just want to go, like, have success. Like, I want the whole experience. And those people will always just be with me. They'll always just mean something to me. And the ones that, like, I want to keep in my orbit, like, they know it. And there is a level of, like, trust and expectation and then the ones that I don't keep in my orbit like just like you said I owe them nothing they owe me nothing but that's always what I'm looking for and so it's interesting that you're like 
part, like I'm almost, I think that if I tried to have casual sex, I would get scared. Yeah. And it's, so I lead with lust. I'm very sexually charged. I'm very like energetically charged. So like if I see someone that I'm attracted to and the vibes are high, the eye contact is strong, that's enough for me to be like, let's fuck. Right? Which I think is a blessing and a curse. Because again, the question I'm asking myself is what does it look like for Jocelyn to be single? That's the hardest question I've, I've had to answer for myself. But something that I have noticed, because I was reflecting on like the people I've had casual encounters with, right? And it was funny because I was having a conversation with my friend yesterday about how like she's like, I don't understand how you can just be okay with like the person you're having sex with having sex with other people. And I was thinking, I'm like, because as long as I feel safe in the dynamic, then anything goes. It's not about the person having sex with other people. It's about are we on the same page? So, for example, I hooked up with this guy in Barcelona. And um, every time I think about him, I still smile. And I think, like, why? What was it about that casual encounter that made me feel so safe? And I, and I think back on everything. And it's like, our first date was at a park. Or our first date was, like, boba tea. We had this, like, beautiful conversation. He was very upfront with his expectations. He's like, I just got out of a long relationship. I'm looking for something casual. This is, like, this is who I am, blah, 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 blah. This is what I want. And I did the same thing. This is what I want. This is what I am. Cool. We kissed. We said goodbye. The second date, we had dinner, and then we had sex all night and all morning, and it was the shit, right? Said goodbye to him. I was really bummed because I was leaving Barcelona, and he was very upfront with me. He said, hey, I'm not a good texter. I'm not very good at keeping in contact. I don't really like when people have expectations of me to communicate with them. I'm much more of a person who appreciates one on like person to person like in person conversations. And so when he doesn't text me, it does not cause me anxiety because he was straight up with me, said, This is who I am, this is this is this is what you can expect from me. And I'm just like chilling. I'm like, okay, you know. But then when someone just doesn't text me, I'm freaking the fuck out because I'm like, what's happening, bro? You know, or whatever it is, you know, I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and now I'm realizing, okay. It's everything goes as long as we're on the same page. That's just what it like. Just like I just want to make sure we're like, are we on the same page? Are we are we here? Yeah. If we're not, let's talk about it so we so then I so my nervous system can fucking regulate itself. Because my nervous system has been out of whack for the last several weeks, and this conversation is really helping me to just kind of like put some fire under my butt and practice some integrity and just be straight up. Yeah. You know. Like hey, this is how I feel about you. Do you feel like, and it's so, I feel like I'm telling my clients this all the time because the second I feel an emotion towards someone, like a liking, I, and I might be like you in the same way, like, let's go fuck, I, I will just, like, and be like, literally the second I get the chance, like, so, can you give it to me? <laughs> yeah. Because I just want to know if they feel yeah. it too, because if I feel it, you've got to be feeling it. And I coach so many of my clients, and I see them, like, They'll be taken out, texting me back for weeks before they look at me up and say, feeling this for you. Do I feel for you feel too? And I'm like, girl, you just spent weeks of time and you could have had like amazing clarity and security and and I just I just I, I will literally never operate that way. You will always know where you stand with me. I'm the same way too. Yeah, yeah. But there's again like, it's all good, you know, this is just, this is, well, it's not even this one guy, Jane, this is a pattern of mine. Okay. 
this is a pattern that I thought I had nipped in the bud in September. And then the universe was like, let's see. And now I'm like, God damn it, I'm fucking here again. You know what I mean? Because I thought I nipped, I was like, no more. And then it's coming up now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's, it's old patterns. And I'm asking myself, how did I get here again? And again, and I think about the people that made me feel safe. And really at the core, it's being up front being open and honest, being like, this is how I feel, this is where I'm at, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, are we on the same page? And then that way I have the option to say, no, I want to walk away, or yeah, I want to stay in this like dynamic, whether it be we hook up a few times or we never see each other again, Like I just want to make sure that I know where we stand. And I think that people are just so scared also of those, kind of, like even right now I'm, I'm experiencing some anxiety texting about that, because I'm like, oh shit, he's going to think I'm fucking crazy. But then I'm like, if he thinks I'm crazy, then maybe he's not the type of guy I want to have sex with either way. Yeah, of course. But if he can be like, oh, for sure, like, this is how I feel. Dope. Now we're on the same fucking page. Like, okay, something else. Okay, so the opposite actually happened in Barcelona. I hooked up with this other guy. And I was like, text, you know, afterwards, I, I sent a message. I was like, hey, I had an amazing time with you. I would love to see you again. He's like, thank you so much for your honesty, for sure. Had him texted me for a few days, and I was like, what the fuck? Sends me this message, he goes, hey, Jocelyn, I just want to, you know, I really, truly did have a great time with you. I had so much fun. The conversations were great. Um, he's like, but I got to be honest with you. I'm not interested in seeing you again. He's like, I think you're a great person. Like, I hope you enjoy your time in Barcelona, and, like, I really hope you feel like you can still keep in contact. And, yeah, I was bummed for a hot second, but then I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was like... For sure. I'm like, thank you so much. I really did have a great time with you. Thank you for the lovely memories. I was like, I appreciate you so much. Um, I told him, like, take care of yourself. Like, you know, and we, like, exchanged this beautiful night together. We, we like, read poetry to each other. And we, like, listened to music. We, like, looked at the moon. It was so beautiful. I'm like, I'm always going to cherish that memory. And now I'm going to cherish him, even though he rejected me, right? Because... Again, I can trust you because you're standing in integrity. You're telling me what's what's up straight up. And now I can regulate my nervous system, move forward, and know where I stand. Right? It's And again, it's not about rejection or not rejection. It's just, are we on the same page? Are we speaking the same language? Are we here? You know? Like, that's where it comes down to. Yeah. Energetic fucking clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And even, like, I don't know. And I think that actually when you're coaching, you can get more skilled in this because you be listening to someone and you feel where they're maybe holding back or whatever yeah. they're doing. Or you can be like, I am finding a boundary of like when I notice myself with my partners and my friends and I start coaching them. He's back. Don't do that. It's so hard not to do what I can do. It feels like I like turn I feel like I go to my coaching books and I'm like, let's go do that. <laughs> But I just love, you know, a quote that's coming to mind is something I heard from an amazing coach that was, this was actually in a marketing program, and it was front load your weird. Mm-hmm. And as I'm dating, if you're on a first date with me, I'm going to make sure that you know all of these things about me. I do not stay in one place for long. I will never move in with you. I will never be monogamous with you, at least for right now. That could change in 10 years. Like, I try to be so, this is who I am. These are my friends. I'm really close with my friends. I just want to, I want to be so exactly who I am, and I think that's where a lot of relationships get hurt, 
hurt is that when people start dating, they try to be a specific version of themselves. And that's why I think dating can be such a great, like, integral energy mastery practice. Like, you're on a date and you notice you really want to hide an aspect of yourself from the person. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with this aspect? Yes. Oh. Why am I not wanting to show them this side of myself? You know, and we can, okay, there's something there that needs to be loved because I'm trying to hide that side of myself. So, again, it just, it just all comes back to this energetic clarity of you. Just love it. This is the moment to be here. And, you know, also, What's such a great theme is just to be a good leader like you are, you have to be on a self-initiated journey. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, my God. I always tell myself, if my clients were, if, were, if they had, if they were a fly on the wall in my life, mm-hmm. would they be proud to call me their coach? I always tell myself that. And that's why I'm up front with my shit, you know? Like, I don't hide any of my, if I'm going through something, if I failed at something, I'm up front with it because... I want people to know that I'm human, that I also struggle with this. And I think there's a lot of comfort when you when you have a coach that says, hey, I know what that feels like. I've been there. I'm there now. You know? Like, we are on the same page here, right? And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's we're, you have to. In order, like, and that's one thing that I tell people, right? If you, if you want a coach, you got to, like, go on that journey yourself. Is, and I go in I love it because I also go back to what my therapist told you know when I told him who the fuck's gonna want to hire a sex coach that is in sex and robotics and all this and has a history of cheating and he was like I would and that always like hits me because it's like mm-hmm. all right like he pretty much was reflecting to me like you've done you're doing the work mm-hmm. so I would love to get coached by you exactly who wants to be coached by someone who's always had a perfect life and has never experienced adversity mm-hmm. like I don't really know. Maybe there's coaches out there like that. Good for them. But, you know, the, the depths of your suffering is like the richness of the soil that you have to offer others. Yeah. And that's what I always, like, have to come back to. And my biggest fear, actually, is that my students, like, utilize But that they think that just, like, my alarm goes off and I'm yoga and I'm meditating and I'm eating perfectly and I'm always tanned and, like, I just fly to my next trip just effortlessly and that like I've just got it all together and like I that's my biggest fear is mm-hmm. that they is that a I lose my way mm-hmm. and start fabricating my online presence yes. to look perfect yeah. that's like probably my biggest fear in life. Yeah. And then B that my students somehow start to look at me as like, wow Jane's got it together. She's so yeah. perfect. She does all of these things. Why don't I? When it's like that's not true. I've been building this life for 10 years, being from literally the shittiest, darkest experience ever to now. And trust me, guys, I'm right there with you. And it's like a constant journey of like, we're wanting to be here, but it's like, no, we actually all want to be here. I'm like, the same like, feeling. And my mom has known people say, I love that you're always so happy. And I've had so many people on my TikTok and Instagram tell me, I love that you're always so happy. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I've said that several times. Actually, one time this guy said that, and I threw on my story. I was like, I just want to apologize to anyone who got the impression that I'm always happy. That couldn't be farthest from the truth. I'm human. I feel shit. I feel anxiety and depression and sadness and fear and worry, just like all of you, right? I just probably don't show in, like, my bad. My bad that I've given you that impression. Right. And I've actually been mindful because there's also like a, a balance, right. Of like, 
how can I show up vulnerably without oversharing, but also create space for people to like hold whatever it is that I'm sharing in a way that will be received like well and not like an overshare, you know, like I think the, the balance between oversharing and vulnerability is very thin. And I think that it's like learning that. Right. Um, but yeah, I know that's my, like one of the things I also tell myself is if someone sees me on Instagram, when they meet me, will they think, yes, that's the girl I saw on Instagram. Uh, yes. That's the girl that I saw on TikTok. Yes, yes. Because that's also my fear is like, I don't want to present two things. Like, who I am in person is who I am on my, on my social media online, you know, in on like, that's why I love meeting my clients in person. Cause I'm like, I'm like, this is like, you know, you're getting, it's like, really me. It's really me. There's nothing. <laughs> I'm not trying to be anybody that I'm not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Jocelyn, I am so grateful that I was meeting with my friend and get to know you and have you on my show. And I also just am so grateful for the way that you show up in the world and We need more people like you, so I'm grateful that I found you and then I got to meet you. And the, well, I guess, okay, three questions. I forgot. I had to ask you my last questions. What, I'll, I'll, I'll put two of them in the same sentence. Okay. How does the word spiritually queer resonate mm-hmm. with you? What does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. I love the word queer. For me, being queer is just doing what the fuck you want, <laughs> holding death close to you knowing that you're going to die one day and it's that can very easily be today because queer for me is going against the status quo it's going it's just allowing yourself to be who you are no matter what anyone says right so that's what queer means so to be spiritually queer means for me to liberate your mind your body and your spirit so that you can be who you really are at your core no matter what. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That is so good. I think that was like the most concise answer I've ever gotten. You were ready for that. <laughs> also, you were like this spiritually queer epitome. Um, and then my last question is very simple. How can people come find you? How can they work with you? Where is the place that you want to work? Yes. So um, the best way to really interact with me is at my Instagram. So at I am Jocelyn Silva. Also, my website is www.jocelynsilva.com. And if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, I work with couples, I work with individuals, I work with individuals of all gender identities, um, and I offer one-on-one programs, and I specialize in um, shame around sexuality, how to communicate effectively, understanding anatomy, education around sex, um, getting to know yourself. Pretty, It's it's a very well-rounded program. specialization that I have, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, those are the best places. I also have a TikTok that has gained a lot of followers throughout yeah. the last few years. Haven't been very active there, but I do have a lot of really good, great content that people can consume. And that's at, at I am Jocelyn Silva. I'm sorry, I am Jocelyn Silva. Also, same as Instagram. Yeah. We will tag all of that in the show notes. And for anyone listening, I'm just going to make the assumption that you would love to hear from DM her, message yes. her, anyway, and I think that if there's, like, I know that for me, if there's something in this episode that one of us said that really resonated with you, we would love to hear from you. Message us. I know Dawson would love to hear from you, so connect with you. Maybe, maybe you're going to 
My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, part one with Jocelyn. (laughs) There will be a part two. Don't worry. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope it felt inspiring to your being. Please share this show with someone who you think might need to hear this message today. Spread the love and spread the light. And if you really loved it, you can leave us a rating and a review so that even more cool homies can tune into this show as well. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one or joining one of my programs like Sunrise or Sanctuary, check out my website, janelion.me. Links are all in the show notes. May you go into the world today and be more kind, more compassionate, and more loving towards yourself and others than you were yesterday. And I love you. And I cannot wait to see you for the next episode.